Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Good to see you. I tried to uh, follow Phil's sort of a process and not use the board, but uh, I can't do it. I humbly admit I'm incapable of talking without it. Our subject this morning is, is money. And uh, he's talked a lot about that. Probably more than anything else. And what he said was uh, very, very hard-hitting. doesn't matter what point in your Christian life you hear it, it's almost uh, in every way counterintuitive. Just think about these thoughts that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold one and despise the other. Cannot serve God and money. This is Jesus essentially saying that money has the powers of a God. And you will be, your heart will be tempted to worship it. In and of itself, money doesn't have divine properties. It's just when it gets into your hands that it takes on divine properties. Dallas Willard said, I love this little line, he just says, and it's nonsensical to try to serve both. And you cannot imagine that God would endure that anyway. The other thing Jesus said about money that's just hard-hitting is what he says very simply, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that the way that you see and use money is the clearest and surest means by which to determine the condition of your heart. It's one of the fastest ways to examine what matters to you. And of course, Jesus is trying to be the thing that matters to you the most. He's trying to gear your attention toward something that requires your heart. Now you might say, you know, money's not my thing. I don't care that much about money. Maybe money's not your thing, and if money's not your thing, you still have to ask the question, is the kingdom your thing? Because your money needs to be going there. You might not care about money too much, but you have it, and what you're doing with it determines the condition of your heart. So I guess you're going to sort of each week get a window into uh, one guy's journey on this topic. And this morning, you're going to get mine. Uh, And um, the only thing I want to do, the only thing I'm going to do with the board right now 
is, uh, I want to show you one verse. Then I'm just going to draw a little picture and then we'll be done. My point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. And so, so for me, there is this sparing end of the spectrum. And then there is this bountiful, he who sows bountifully. And so I guess my story is basically about how do I move this direction? That's really the story. And uh, what you see in these two terms that Paul is discussing the topic of giving and generosity. And what you see behind these is sort of a, a, a giving dynamic. Your first temptation will be, well, I guess this is about amounts. And of course, amounts is certainly in there. Uh, but there's a giving dynamic behind it because he's using an agricultural picture uh, of sowing and reaping about a natural law and how it works. It's just the way things work in the world, the way they work in farming, they work in the kingdom. So there is not just a, a sowing element here as if oh, all, all that matters is what I give. Uh-uh. There is a reap element. So that a whole dynamic is being created. As I'm doing something, God's doing something. Do you see that? So there's a whole dynamic going on here between me and God that's beyond just, am I doling it out? And this is what has just impacted my life over the years. Uh, and the first law of nature here is giving is not losing. It, the sowing and there's a reaping. So just like in farming, the farmer never imagines that the seed he's planting is, is, is lost. That's, that's his investment. He knows the impact of that. And then, notice, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is describing in this giving dynamic. Listen to these words. Here's what Paul says. Let each one, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So God, so the dynamic in the sowing and the reaping is there's a grace coming at you from God. There's a whole sort of spiritual dynamic and uh, uh, from God coming toward you as you give. So it says, uh, God is able to make all grace abound to you. As it is written, he scattered abroad and he gave to the poor. His righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase in the harvest of righteousness. You, it's a great line, will be enriched in everything. You will be enriched in everything. Depending on how you sow. 
for all liberality. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That means for more giving, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So you can see there's a whole grace component coming from God toward the person who's a giver. He can't help himself. He's drawn to givers. He loves them. God loves a cheerful giver, and he's drawn to them, and he can't wait to enter into a certain sort of, like, law of nature to provide for a guy or a gal or someone who's giving. And, uh, and so something's lost to the person who isn't doing it. There's a, real, there's a spiritual dynamic missing. Um, so a lack of generosity impoverishes me. A lack of generosity impoverishes me spiritually, impoverishes me spiritually, because something in the dynamic isn't working. Now remember, you say, what is God going to give me? That can't be the motivation. When a farmer plants seed, he doesn't expect to get seed back. He's going to get fruit. And that could be anything. There's just tons of fruit that could be produced by your giving and, and shown to you by God if you give. And of course, Paul says those are the real riches. Now, as we sort of enter my story, uh, and um, because these are really characterizations of a spiritual reality, but that's what I just said. There is the spiritual dynamic going on in your heart depending on which end of the spectrum of this you are on. And so the move this direction is to have a different spiritual dynamic in your life. Some interaction with God that's visible and fun and surprising and, and productive and eternal when you're doing that. But you can see this mindset here is obviously that of a closed fist. Okay, meager, scarce. This side over here, to be able to give bountifully, uh, this is a little more open-handed. It's a little more freedom feeling on this side. So you can see the two different mindsets and hearts of the person depending on where they are in this, in this spectrum. In the early years of my life, once I started to be able to earn money very early, and I'm talking like 17 to 25. Uh, of course, there wasn't much money there. You just, you just didn't have much. Your, your mindset was on getting it. I have four of those right now in my life. <laughs> Giving is not on their radar. Uh, and I'm, I was pretty much the same way. But interesting, right out of college, I went to work for the, in the movie industry where, where my family is all at, and I was able to generate maybe probably more money during the two years that I did that, one year, you know, right before I got married and then one year married at 23 and 24 than I was able to generate 
into my 30s. I wasn't even able to generate that money ever again until mid-30s, late-30s. So in those two years, uh, I finally got my hands on some money, but I didn't know how to manage it because I grew up in a home where no one knew how to manage money. No one valued money the way it ought to have been uh, valued or treated it the way it should have been. And so I grew up with the same thing, everything I had left. My goal was to come to seminary and move to Dallas after two years of generating more income than I could into my uh, mid-30s at 23 and came here without a cent. Not one dime. Came to Christ in a little ch in a in a church in Miami at 18. Moved back there for two years after college, generated more income than ever, and didn't give one dime to that place. And I was a guy preparing for ministry. And I look back on that and I think that place did so much for me, and I didn't invest anything in it. So I have lots of regrets in that stage of my life. Then Gail and I moved here and without any money went from making that amount of money to making barely $17,000 a year when I first got to seminary. And that forced us to have to look at our finances. That forced us to have to reevaluate. The electric got turned off. I didn't know how to budget. We were a mess. I thought... I'm yelling at the people who run the electricity over there. And they're saying, really, everything's working. So, uh, so one day when things got a little bit out of control, we were in debt. Gail and I, uh, we didn't have kids yet. And I just handed my checkbook over to an accountant. I said, I need help. Here I was now on staff at a church, part-time, going to school. And, uh, and she took that checkbook from me, and for the first time in my life, somebody told me something about my finances. You're horrible at it. Where you're, you don't have a lot of money, but where it goes is horrible. And you need to know how to budget. She showed me how to do that, and then she said, and you don't give enough. I'm on staff at the church she attends. And that just devastated me. So I arranged my finances. So that this is what I did. This is what my natural tendency is. This is kind of who Pete Chiafalo is. Pete Chiafalo realizes something's not working in his life and he dives in to fix the problem. And I dove in and I fixed the problem. I read, every, I read everything I could get my hands on. I became someone who understood how money works and things about it you're supposed to know that someone should have taught you that are not very, that they're elementary, but I, I, I learned them. And I became what, you know, I would say is a money manager. So I moved from just being a, a poor steward to a money manager. And I prided myself on managing it, what little I had. And then I moved toward tithing, because that's what I was supposed to do. And I, I view tithing as um, just basic elementary portion of your giving ought to be going to God. Some portion of your income ought to be going to God. And the, the tithe only helps me because it shows me that 10% is probably a good number to be reaching for. 
In fact, I wholeheartedly believe that tithing is really like riding a bike with training wheels. Anybody can do it. And I did. We finally got there. As broke as we were and as mess, we, we started, we got out of debt. We just started to manage the money. And this is what happened to me in this particular thing. And it might be happening to you. You might not even be there yet, which I understand. That's part of what this story is about because you might not even be managing it well. Uh, but I started to, to, to do those things, and what happened to me was I thought God valued sensibility over generosity. I started, to, I, I was proud of the fact that I managed it, I was proud of the fact, but what happened was I became sort of cold and calculating and controlling. And that really affected my marriage. Gail would probably tell you that the hardest thing about our marriage has been me being too controlling as it relates to money. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Now let me just say something to you, to those of you who are money managers. Being frugal is a way of loving money. If you pride yourself on being frugal, like you don't need a lot, and I did. And I don't. For me personally, materialism, it's not my thing. I'm not a buyer. Buying actually gives me rashes. Okay, I don't like to. Um, so frugality was my way of loving money and priding myself on it. And so what I was was a money manager, but I wasn't a kingdom investor. And see, the reason I have this up here is because this is where God is essentially trying to move us. And all of the reasons, all of the properties of money, all of its capability in our hands, whether it's materialism or frugality, either, or either side of that spectrum, either one of those will rob you of this blessing. It doesn't matter which one. And so even though I was tithing, even though I was given a portion of my income, I was still giving sparingly. I was still a sparing giver. I still had the mindset of, when it came to God, just cheap. Over the years, my money therapy has revealed that my biggest problem is is the struggle to trust God for the things that I need the most. That's, that's where the problem lied. I was raised, you know, with a single mom with two, daughter, with two sisters. We were desperate all the time. I could tell you stories about my life that I look back on and I think, when we couldn't pay rent in an apartment, because I lived in them everywhere, in the middle of the night, we would move. Can you imagine in the middle of the night when no one was watching, we would move? We were just always desperate. And I sort of, when, I, when my mind finally got a hold of managing money, I said, I, I don't want to be financially unstable anymore. I want to be prepared. And then I started to obsess Hear me, obsess about being prepared. 
And that kept my mind and keeps my mind off the kingdom. Because when my four boys came around, I didn't want them to be desperate. I wanted to be able to provide what needed to be provided, and I didn't want them to be. And you know what happened? They became an idol. What was a good thing, and by the way, most of our idols are good things, just turned bad. And that's what happened to me. I just, I thought God was really proud of me for those things. The truth was, I was, hey God, I'll take care of myself when it comes to money. So I was fearful, I operated a scarcity, I never had enough. And that's the sparing model. You never have enough. And you always say it, and you're always screaming it, and it always comes out. And that's all you ever talk about, is that you don't have enough. And it just, it just sucks the life right out of your family, out of the kingdom, out of everything. Because if you don't have enough, well then you certainly can't be generous. If that's all you ever say, and it's the, sort of the posture of your life, it's a mentality of scarcity, and it's not godly. So my wife, who was not fearful, and who was more generous, fought against me. And it has been a, you know, it's, it was a battle for a long time. It's better now. I still battle this. But there's things that I'm doing in my life to make sure that I don't go the other way. Because it's always it's been kind of a, this, you know. You run back despairing and then you, then you. Something Jesus says in Matthew 6 is, have you, have, you, have you looked at the birds lately? Because they're a unique kind of creature. They only worry about what's going on in the moment of their life. They don't worry about everything. And God takes care of them and he says, I want you to know that I want you to be like the bird. I want you to be like the bird. I want you to trust me for the things that you need. But I want you to know that you're far more valuable to me than a bird. Isn't that what Luke says? Luke says, how much more valuable are you than the birds? So on my mirror, even to this day, is this verse, these verses. And I've memorized it. This is the net version. Because I see it every day, and every day it's the focus of my... Your conduct must be free from the love of money. And you must be content with what you have. Now that's a mouthful in and of itself. Whatever processes have to go through your heart to get you to be to those two places. But it's the place where your heart needs to get. And then notice what he says in order to make this a reality. Jesus said, for he said, God says, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. And of course, for me, this is right at the center and the heart of my issue of trust. And then here's what I'm trying to say because he says, if God says that, you ought to be able to say with confidence, 
This is what I say. The Lord is my helper. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of being fearful all the time. And I'm tired of worrying. This is where God works on me. And so, you say, what are the applications to this verse? How do they tease out in my life? Well, the first one is, um, I have to review how God has taken care of me up to this point in my life. And let me just tell you something that you'll do that'll just change your life. You just sit around your table today, and if all you did was talk about how much God has cared for you over your life, and how he's gotten your sorry butt to this point, you will just literally go, I can't believe I was afraid. And I can't believe I still am. It's remarkable the things that God has done to take care of me. And they're so humbling to consider. And there's so many, I don't even know where to begin to start of the way that he has worked just to take care of me. Nothing major, just the way he has taken care of me. And here's what happens when you begin to celebrate the way God has taken care of you. Money loses its divine quality. And listen, once money loses its divine quality, it's easier to give away. It's easier to part with. So I told you, this is not for everyone, by the way, but it is for me, and I'll tell you why. Carrying cash is helpful to me because I want to be in a dynamic with God where he can prompt me immediately to do something for someone. And I've gone through different periods in my life where I've taken on that approach, and I'm in one now, and I've been in one for a little while, where um, I'm looking for opportunities to, uh, to bless others, and it's so fun. It's so fun to do it secret without anyone knowing. Sometimes you can't do that, but it's still a, a blessing to see someone else and see. Here's the beautiful thing. Uh, there are people sitting among us and people out there who need to know that God is looking after them and God is going to use you to be the one to show them. That's the most beautiful thing. Because I know lots of people who just think, I don't know if God's going to, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can pull. Uh. And, when, and when you are the instrument that reinforces, hey, God's thinking of you, that's really where the joy comes. Now, let me just wrap this up by saying this to you. At the center of our economies, our little economic lives, Paul puts the cross when he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that you know the grace of God, who though he was rich, became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Right there, Paul takes the cross and sees it as sort of a wealth distribution 
It becomes a sort of wealth distribution, redemption in economic terms. Paul motivating Christians to give in that text says, take the cross and put it right in the center of your, your economic life. And be reminded every day of the treasure of what God has definitely already done for you. And I heard something yesterday, and this is what it said. All treasures that you have outside of God will demand something of you. This is the one treasure that sacrificed for you. This is the one treasure that sacrificed for you. To treasure it opens up a different kind of life. Somewhere on this spectrum you are in my And I'm hoping that somewhere in here you'll see a, the spiritual reality in this and not just the dollars. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray that, uh, I pray you'll just use your word and some of the things that you've shown me to help us all change our mindsets a bit in favor of your kingdom, which you said to seek first. In Jesus' name, amen.